Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Fixed Interests podcast. My name is Mark Naren. I'm a senior director on our North American banks team. I'm joined by Mike Gerard, director on the North American ABS team. On this episode, we'll talk about the state of the Canadian consumer after the Bank of Canada's eighth and perhaps final rate hike on January 25th. The policy rate is now 4.5%. That marks an accumulated increase of 425 basis points over a 10-month period. Given that Canadian households have the highest debt loads in the G7, how well they continue to service that debt will be key to banks' medium-term retail credit quality, as well as the performance of asset-backed securities. So far, Canadians appear to be adjusting well to the higher mortgage, car, and credit card payments. But arrears rates have started to climb in certain segments and products. And while the labor market remains near historically tight levels, most observers, including Fitch's economists, expect unemployment to tick above 6% by the end of next year, compared to 5% as of year-end 2022. And as we saw during the pandemic, unemployment can have an almost immediate effect on loan quality. Under Fitch's base case, we expect credit to deteriorate, but remain within historical ranges. In our recently published 2023 outlook for Canadian banks, we assume that bank provisions for credit losses will roughly double in 2023 versus the prior year, bringing reserves as a share of total loans above pre-COVID levels and guidance from the largest banks seem to support this view. In recent weeks, nearly all of the large banks have guided to material increases in provisions, reflecting both their expectation of an economic slowdown as well as an increase in problem loans. However, given that provision rates are currently well below historical averages, banks are still guiding to impaired or total provision levels that are inside or even slightly below the ranges we saw from 2017 to 2019, suggesting a moderate or soft landing. If you look at bank disclosures as of their most recent quarter, their retail loans continue to perform well. So, Mike, I wanted to get your perspective on where you're seeing potential signs of consumer stress and what your outlook is for consumer debt performance. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so far, we're seeing some early signs of stress on the consumer uh, within our ABS transactions, just given the rise in delinquencies and charge-offs for Fitch's credit card index and, and the higher delinquencies we're seeing for the auto loans and lease indices. Uh, but the level overall has so far been gradual and remains significantly below the levels that we saw in 2019. And while these metrics are slowly trending up, uh, it's important to, to note that uh, the monthly payment rates for credit cards remains very strong, uh, close to the record levels at 20 percentage points above the levels that we saw in 2020, um, showing the overall resilience for the consumers so far. Uh, but the NPR rate is something that we're keeping an eye on, uh, which could be a good indication for trends in delinquencies and charge-offs should the payment levels drop off. Another thing to consider uh, when looking at current performance trends, uh, given the increasing uh, delinquencies and losses, uh, is really that this follows a period over the last two to three years of very strong performance uh, with record lows for both metrics due to several unprecedented pandemic relief measures and more recently the strength we've seen in the labor market, which includes that record low unemployment, uh, high job uh, vacancies and rising wages, all which are positive supports for loan performance. 
as you noted, there are several pressures Canadians have been managing through, uh, which looks like the perfect storm currently with the elevated inflation, uh, significantly higher interest rates, a slowing economy and decreases in net worth, just given the corrections we've seen in the housing market as well as financial markets recently. All of this at the same time, while well, these households are carrying record high debt on average, uh, leading to a near record debt to income ratio of 183% in Q3 uh, versus 181% in Q1 2020, causing uh, many households uh, stress or concern given the higher monthly debt payments. And this is further uh, expected to be exasperated for some households just given the expected uh, job losses through this year as the economy uh, slows with an expected or forecasted unemployment rate of 6% this year for Fitch uh, versus the current 5%, which overall would lead to increased levels of default in general. Though despite the higher uh, debt levels and carrying costs, Canadians on average are in a decent position to handle the pressures from rising uh, rates and, and higher inflation compared to where they were prior to the pandemic, uh, given the strong labor market uh, conditions, as well as the higher savings they've accumulated, uh, which is estimated at about $350 billion through the pandemic compared to only $19 billion in 2019 and a higher quarterly savings rate at 5.7%, which is close to uh, twice the level of the 10-year pre-pandemic average overall, providing a bit more cushion. Though where we'd expect to see a bit more impact is on the lower income and higher indebted households um, who typically spend more of their budgets on goods and services, which have been impacted the most by inflation. Uh, also, uh, they have less savings in general, uh, are higher leveraged with DTI ratios above 300%, and just have less options to cut spending when it comes to reacting to higher interest rates compared to the higher income levels. Though if you look at the Stats Canada data, it's showing this pressure is being felt by most households to some extent, uh, with larger decreases in average household savings on a quarterly basis, as well as larger drops in net worth given the, the impacts from the declining uh, housing prices, as well as the fact that many households are leaning on debt to get by. Uh, for example, personal loans and credit card balances have gone up by 3% and 30% year over year, respectively. In terms of consumer spending levels, though, so far these are holding up. Uh, but we'd expect uh, consumers to cut back now that the holiday period has ended, especially just given the impact from higher debt servicing costs on discretionary spending levels. And then lastly, uh, we're also seeing some pressure on Canadians through the recent monthly insolvency filings, which have been trending up for the most part, but still below the 2019 levels. With all this taken into consideration, as we move through 2023, uh, we'd expect to see loan performance continue to weaken compared to the levels we saw last year, and specific to Canadian credit card ABS, uh, we've assigned our asset performance outlook at deteriorating, which reflects the normalization away from those stronger levels I mentioned, as well as the current pressures facing households today uh, with the expectation that more people will fall behind on their payments, thereby seeing uh, higher delinquency levels as well as charge-offs continuing to trend towards the 2019 levels. And then for MPR specifically, we expect these to trend downwards uh, as households will likely continue to rely on, on credit cards more, uh, leading to higher card balances, while at the same time uh, seeing some pressure on their ability to make those larger payments that we've seen at historic levels over the last two years, uh, just given the impact from inflation, higher interest rates, and then the further expected pressure uh, from, from a slightly weaker job market. Even with the expected deterioration in performance, uh, overall we expect it to remain within our steady state assumptions uh, for credit card ABS and don't anticipate it reaching the levels we saw during the GFC, just given uh, several supporting factors, which I mentioned, which include that relative strength of the labor market uh, with Fitch uh, forecasting and unemployment rate rising to 6%, though this is only slightly higher compared to the levels seen uh, just prior to the pandemic. Also, many households still have a large savings cushion to help absorb some of the impacts as they go through this year. 
I wondered if you could also elaborate on the outlook for auto loans, ABS. It seems that there are a lot of moving variables in terms of inventory, used vehicle prices, as well as rates. Sure, for 2023, our asset performance outlook for prime auto loan and leases assigned uh, deteriorating relative to last year's level, same as credit cards, uh, just given the expected weaker performance uh, driven by those macro pressures on households, which are expected to lead to higher delinquencies and losses and more borrowers struggle to make payments. Though, as you noted, there are several other factors that impact performance for auto loan and lease ABS, such as the supply and demand imbalances for vehicles, which impact used vehicle values and thereby the level of recoveries and residual values. Uh, used vehicle prices, for instance, have been exceptionally strong after the recovery and price declines uh, we saw in early 2020, uh, shown by Canadian Black Book's Used Vehicle Retention Index, which has increased by over 50% between the start of the pandemic and where it peaked in March of last year. Uh, the strength in vehicle values has led to larger recoveries overall, uh, which has contained uh, severity for loan performance and led to higher residual value gains for auto lease transactions. Though since then, uh, used vehicle values have been softening as the supply of semiconductor chips has slowly improved and also due to the uh, softening in, in demand somewhat, just given the impact of, of affordability for many Canadians with higher interest rates for auto loans and leases, which are now around the 67% range, but also just due to the overall impact of higher new vehicle price overall. Uh, and this is something we're seeing in performance with Fitch's Auto Loan Recoveries Index and Auto Lease uh, re Residual Value Index, both coming off the record highs, uh, but still remaining significantly stronger compared to where they started at the end of 2019. However, even with the recent softening, the used vehicle values are likely to remain elevated compared to the 2019 levels, uh, thereby supporting recoveries and residual values for loan and lease ABS, but just not at the record levels uh, we saw over the, the last two to three years. Uh, and this is due to the uh, estimates uh, for new vehicle supply, which is slowly improving, uh, though still expected to be below the 2019 levels this year uh, due to the ongoing shortage of semiconductor uh, chips, which is slowly improving. Also for demand, uh, while rates have priced some people off the market, uh, there's still significant pent up demand in general for vehicles with money placing orders or sitting on the waiting list for over two years uh, for, for some models. It's likely to see some of these orders get cancelled though, uh, just given that they were placed at a time when the interest rates were much lower, uh, though we expect that these vehicles to be sold to other bars waiting on the sidelines given how uh, high pent-up demand still is and just how difficult it's been to get some of these vehicles, especially the most popular models as well as uh, electric vehicles. Where we might see some differences in residual values is between the luxury and non-luxury markets given the higher price for those vehicles in general uh, with some customers no longer being able to afford them given the higher the higher rates uh, also we'd expect to see some impacts in the full-size suvs uh, which are currently seeing a bit more pressure on used prices lately compared to compact suvs and cars also uh, mostly due to affordability issues just before passing it back to you, Mark, I just want to mention that while our asset performance outlook is set to deteriorating for this year, uh, we have a positive ratings outlook for both auto loan and lease ABS with the potential for upgrades to subordinate notes due to the, the performance, which although is expected to weaken, as I mentioned, uh, is expected to remain within our, our credit and residual value loss proxies. Uh, also, just due to the structural features for the transactions, which uh, typically build in credit enhancement as the transactions amortize. Mark, it's probably not possible to talk about the Canadian consumer without discussing the housing market in a bit more depth, given the mortgages uh, represent nearly three quarters of consumer debt. Um, so Mark, what's the outlook for mortgage quality given 
that it's the largest share of bank loan portfolios. For years now, we've viewed the housing market as a tail risk to bank credit quality, seeing as uninsured mortgage debt has increased about 50% just in the last two years, and households have become ever more vulnerable to rate rises and income loss. At the same time, uninsured mortgages, including home equity lines of credit, consistently represent between one-third and a half of gross loans at the large banks. That said, mortgage quality remains very strong. As of last September, CMHC reported that the share of mortgages in arrears nationally was at a historic low of 14 basis points, with broad-based strength across provinces, metropolitan areas, and origination values. But we expect this picture to deteriorate as borrowers continue to absorb materially higher payments. Assuming an average new mortgage of approximately 363000 Canadian dollars, the monthly payment on a renewing five-year fixed-rate mortgage has increased 570 Canadian dollars since rates were at their lowest point in 2021. For resetting variable rate mortgages, the monthly payment will have gone up by more than $800, and those carrying costs will continue to rise as the most recent rate hikes are reflected in the data. Fortunately, 60% of outstanding uninsured mortgages on bank balance sheets are fixed rate. Of those, only a small share, or about 8 to 13%, will renew this year. In addition, about three-fourths of variable rate mortgages have fixed payment structures, so that when interest rates move, a higher share of payments cover interest rather than principal. As of November, the Bank of Canada estimated that about half of variable rate mortgages with fixed payments had reached a trigger rate, where the interest obligation exceeded the fixed payment. Many of those borrowers will have to adjust their monthly payments upwards to cover interest, but they will not be absorbing the same kind of increase as a variable rate variable payment borrower. The more fundamental mitigant to mortgage deterioration, however, is bank underwriting. So for an uninsured mortgage, the maximum loan to value is 80%. And at the large banks, average uninsured loan to values are closer to 50%. We've seen prices decline by more than 20% in some Toronto suburbs, but overall housing prices are down 17% as of December. And they are still about 30% higher than pre-COVID. Fortunately, there are signs that prices are beginning to stabilize. Over the long term, the perennial outpacing of population growth over housing supply acts to support prices. But even over the near to medium term, borrowers who find themselves unable to carry their current mortgage should be able to sell or downsize at current LTVs. At the same time, mortgage quality is helped by the minimum qualifying rate, which ensured that borrowers had to be able to carry an interest rate of 5.25% even when market rates were below 2%. That should act as a vaccine against delinquencies, assuming that the Bank of Canada is at or near the terminal policy rate, and assuming that incomes are resilient. So, if we look at the most vulnerable borrowers, those who bought at the top of the market and at the bottom of interest rates, with high LTVs and low FICO scores, they look like they will remain a small minority of peripheral cases, assuming stable levels of income. 
And that gets to the most pressing uncertainty in my mind, which is what happens with unemployment over the near to medium term. If, as expected, the unemployment rate rises only moderately by 1% to 2%, we expect arrears rates will be manageable. You say that the expected range of losses are manageable. Do the banks have adequate cushions to absorb losses if they're larger than expected? The short answer is yes, they do. But there is a little bit of noise in the loss absorption picture. As of fiscal year end, if you add capital and reserves, the domestic systemically important banks have unusually high loss absorption capacity, about 100 basis points higher than pre-COVID on average as a share of risk-weighted assets. But this doesn't reflect the large acquisitions that three of the large banks will record this year. The DSIBs are guiding to common equity tier one ratios of between 11.5 and 12% over the near term, which would actually be below pre-COVID levels of 12.5% on average. Allowance levels, which are pretty comparable now to 2019, will likely increase as the macroeconomic picture gets gloomier. I think we take some comfort that OSFI increased the domestic stability buffer in December to raise the minimum capital requirement to 11%. And we saw that the large banks can easily adapt to higher capital requirements through credit risk transfers, buyback pauses, drip programs, sales of investments, and even new equity offerings. There's also less of a concern on our part that the pace of rate hikes that pressured the fair value of those announced acquisitions will result in a severe hit to capital. Thank you, Mark. And thank you all for listening. For more information on how rising rates are stressing the Canadian consumer, please visit our website at FitchRatings.com.